Well, good morning, NCBC. It's lovely to be here with you all. I've been here on a number of occasions, and um, yeah, it's just good to meet some of you. I've already met Julian and Helen and Paolo, we've, we've met before. Um, but lovely, and Dennis, nice to meet some of you in person. That's really good. Um, in fact, I came last year to the women's conference and, and led one of the workshops as well. I trained alongside Tom at Spurgeon's College, and in fact, when he was in Billericay in Essex, I was just down the road near Southend. So um, I was really pleased to hear that he'd come this way, because I came uh, to Norfolk about 18 months before Tom came. I, um, I have numerous stories from Spurgeon's, and it won't surprise you, I can hear you laughing, it won't surprise you to know that a lot of them involve Tom. So I'm willing to share any for the right price. Tom's given me free reign this morning and said I can be really creative. Um, before you shudder to think what that might mean for you all, do not worry. Um, rather than us doing something creative together this morning, I thought that I would tell you a bit about Light of Life Baptist Church and the creative way that we do church together. We are a creative bunch. We're painters and knitters and cake bakers, lots of cake bakers, gardeners. But this is about being creative with church. And I guess the theme for this morning is, is calling, really. As Light of Life Baptist Church, we were called to set off into unknown and unfamiliar territory. We're a group of people from the age of six into our 90s, supporting each other, encouraging each other as we do our best to follow Jesus. When we arrived in Ormsby in 2020, in the August, we were right in the middle of the pandemic. And like many churches up and down the country, we started exploring what that meant for us as church. The pandemic made everybody do church very differently, didn't it? But um, we're a small church in the village, and we've got stained glass windows. We actually meet in an old Methodist chapel. The stained glass windows don't open, and if we opened the doors for ventilation, we'd got horses and tractors and such like going past, so we, we couldn't hear. And I think we probably came back all together, gathered, a long time after you did, because in a smaller chapel, there's, there's not the the um, ability to socially distance, perhaps, in the way that you did. So we looked at what God was calling us to be at this time, and more importantly, what, what constitutes church? What, what is church? What have we simply been doing because of our culture, and, well, because it's always, it always been that way? Many activities that we thought might have been necessary for a healthy and thriving church, we discovered actually weren't really that important in following Jesus. Whether we are gathered as 200 or 30 or our life groups of, of six or, or even two or three, where two or three are gathered, we are still church. And we're called to be who God calls us to be as individuals, all gloriously different, yet unified by and reflecting our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Even when we are the only 
follower of Jesus in our family or at work or at college, we're still church. We're just church scattered, not church gathered. And I know that last week Tom was speaking to you about being living sacrifices, about worshipping God in every moment of every day. Or not, I guess, depending on how you are living. And it's the same with church. We are church every moment of every day. We're the church, not the building. It's us. And I read about another church this week near Cambridge who have decided to do things a bit differently as well. And they are encouraging their um, church family to go to community activities in their village rather than running community activities themselves and trying to get the church in they're actually going out I love the fact that you are having a couple of days you've got you're going to see Pauling and um, Eaton Park and that's such a great opportunity to invite people that wouldn't come here on a Sunday morning family members and friends and neighbours do do take that as a good opportunity and start thinking now about who you're going to invite to come along. It's no less church because you're singing, you're not singing, you're still church. In fact, that often gives us really good opportunities to talk about our lives and how Jesus has made an impact to our lives and actually for people to see that we're quite normal as well. Are you quite normal? Yeah, good, good. It's not that activities and programs and services aren't good. But spending lots of time and energy on these things is not actually what Jesus has called us to do. At the end of Matthew 28, we have the Great Commission. Jesus commissions his disciples to go and make disciples and baptise them. He didn't commission his disciples to go and find people who would come into church at 10.15 every Sunday morning. How we go about sharing the incredible story of how God came to earth in Jesus and how Jesus lived his life, showing us how to worship God in the everyday, showing us how to live lives of love and humility and peace and joy, is up to us. So Light of Life began to meet for church with a different rhythm. And it was based upon our values, which are Sabbath, hospitality, and spirituality. So we meet, gathered all together, every other week. And the first one of those is like a pretty traditional service. We are gathered round tables. Um, the The chapel used to be a coffee house, so we've got these tables, so we sit round tables. And the children meet in the kitchen, because that is the only other room that we have. And then the second time we gather all together is um, quite different. We meet in the evening for a meal together, and then we have a short time of um, sung worship and a reflection just a five-minute reflection. And the idea is that it's more accessible for people who, again, would struggle to come to a service like this. 
on alternate weeks, and it's one of our alternate weeks this week, we have a podcast. So um, Light of Life will be listening to a podcast, and they might, they might be doing that this morning, or they might be doing that in the car on the way to work during the week, or they might have gathered people from their life group to listen to the podcast, and then they talk together and, and pray together. And the final Sunday in the month, we are learning how to Sabbath. And that's actually the challenge. That's really hard. How do we take a proper rest? How do we stop work and rest and enjoy God and have time with him and enjoy his creation? And that might be going for a walk or it might be meeting a friend for coffee. But we're, we're learning how to do that. For me, it's been great. We've been able to invite neighbours around for brunch when we couldn't do that any other day of the week. So, it's, it's, again, it's a real missional opportunity for us. And then on the fifth Sundays, and there's quite a few fifth Sundays this year, we are doing something a bit more missional, and we're encouraging the life groups that meet. You probably have small groups here, I suspect. Do you? Yeah. So we're encouraging the life groups to meet together and do something they enjoy. So we've had... Um, Afternoon teas, there's a lot of cake at Light of Life. Afternoon teas, we've gone to National Trust properties. Um, and again, to invite people on the fringes to come along. And we also, we do other things as well. So we, um, we have a Renew Wellbeing Cafe. If you don't know what that is, ask me later. Um, we have Lego Cafe and um, different events throughout the year. In fact, not that we celebrate Halloween, but it's actually one of our busiest times. We probably have, well, we have 30 on our membership, but we have between 150 and 200 coming along in the village to stop off to use the toilet, to eat cake and have a hot chocolate um, on Halloween. And we gather with the Anglican Church as well to do different things. One of the things we are doing at the moment is to watch the series The Chosen. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen The Chosen or not, but if you haven't, it's incredible. It's a story about Jesus' disciples. If you can get through the first two episodes, um, it, Angel Studios, just Google it. it really, you won't be disappointed. So the verses that Chris has read to us from Genesis reflect a bit of our experience as church together. And these verses are the first bit of of God choosing people who would honour him. People, unlike Adam and Eve, who had the opportunity to dwell with God in Eden and mucked that one up. People, unlike Noah's sons, who wanted to make a name for themselves rather than worshipping God. They built a tower in Babel. The descendants of Abraham were called to be different, set apart, blessed, but actually called to pass that blessing on to others. And interestingly, to do that, Abraham was told to leave his country and his father's household, leave all that is familiar, all that he had known was to get left behind. And although it was Abraham's call, his father, Terah, went along with him. The entire family, in fact, set out from Ur to Canaan. They all go. We don't know why they left the prosperous city of Ur to travel to Canaan. But about halfway there, they settle 
in Haran. Settle. We're not told they stopped off to reload with supplies, to have a bit of a rest. They settled. I wonder what the word settled means to you. The dictionary definition is to become familiar with something to the point that it's comfortable, steady, firm, and established. And stable. I I like that word, stable. It means you can heave a sigh of relief, you can sit back and relax, knowing that the bill is settled, the argument is settled, you can now plod along happily. In Matthew 5:23, we read, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. And in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul instructs Jesus' followers, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. It's got that tone of a school teacher, hasn't it? Settle down. So when it comes to matters of dispute or slothfulness, we're to settle quickly. Not allowing upsets to fester, not allowing the sun to go down on our anger. Not to be lazy, but to get on with work. But then there's a different type of settling to settling an argument, isn't there? I wonder if you are someone who never settles There's a whole world out there of opportunity. Why settle for less? God had called the aged Abraham and childless Sarah to fashion an alternative community of faith, unlike those who had gone before. They were unlikely people. They were old in years, they were childless. But then have you seen how God always uses unlikely people? I wonder if God is perhaps calling you to do something unlikely. You'll know if he is, because you'll get that little feeling. And that is God's spirit talking to your spirit. And that might not make you smile. That might bring a lump to your throat. So they fully embrace God's call and off they set. Yet for some reason, they take others along with them on the journey and become too settled. They stop short of what God has called them to. Why did the family settle? Well, we're not told it was to settle a dispute or to settle down to work. And why did Terah go with Abraham anyway. Perhaps did Terah go off with Abraham, deliberately just cheering him on his way as he set off on his calling from God? 
Because the first verse in chapter 12 says the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household. Abraham had already had the calling. So was it the plan all along for Terah to settle in Haran, journeying with Abraham up to a point as far as he could manage? Because that journey was 1,500 miles and it may simply have been too much for Terah. We are told that he was 70 by the time he had children and he's now got grandchildren. So perhaps the journey was just simply too much for him physically. Or perhaps the name of the city where he settled, it was just one letter different, I don't know if you noticed that, to the name of his deceased son. Perhaps that brought him some kind of comfort in being there. Some commentators have suggested that he actually named the place himself. We can speculate the many possible reasons that he settled, but we just know that he did and the family stayed with him. When our children were young, they all liked running, and our son Isaac was in a cross-country race in junior school. And Isaac takes things very literally. He was doing really well in this race, and he was getting near to the finish line, and he was one of the first few out of over 100. And as mums do, I cheered him on, come on, Isaac! At which you can't help yourself, can you? It just kind of comes out. At which point, Isaac stopped running, turned towards me and started to come over. Because I'd said, come on, Isaac. I said, no. And all these, well, there was about half a dozen children that just sped past him to the finish line. I try and keep quiet after that, but, you know, it's hard to. And I wonder if Terah was cheering Abram on. And actually, as I did with Isaac, he inadvertently inhibited Abraham's race. He held him back. Don't be the reason that someone else settles. Or perhaps Terah put pressure on Abraham to stay. Or did Abraham feel he needed to stay? And did that rather out of duty to his father rather than his calling to his heavenly father? Perhaps the tension between Sarah's barrenness and the promise that they would become the father, the parents of nations, just get too much for them? Did they settle out of fear, out of a lack of faith, rooted on the spot when actually God had called them onwards? Why did he settle? Did Abraham struggle to throw off the sin that entangled him? And his perseverance for the journey marked out dwindle. Did Abraham rely on his own strength or the comfort of his family and familiar people rather than allowing God's spirit to empower him? I realise that I'm throwing out more questions here than I'm answering. When Light of Life trialled our new rhythm, it was difficult for some people and we we left a few behind it was uncomfortable because they wanted to settle back into the comfort of corporate worship every Sunday but we believed Jesus was calling us into new territory and it was around this time that one of our um, members coined the phrase to be happily uncomfortable 
I don't know if you understand what that means. We were happy that we were doing what God had called us to do, happy that we were responding to his challenge, but at the same time, uncomfortable because it wasn't easy. We weren't settled and we were venturing into experimental and unknown territory. Like Abraham, God had called us onwards to leave the safe and the familiar. And like Abraham, we weren't really given directions until we actually set out en route. So this morning, I want to invite you to become happily uncomfortable. I suspect that's how Abraham felt as he set out for Canaan. Don't settle too soon. Don't allow a love of stability or tiredness or grief or laziness to allow you to follow God up to a point only to settle there when he has called you onwards and there are so many more blessings in store for you. I wonder where God might be calling you as individuals and as NCBC together. Tom's been here 18 months, I guess, about that. Are you starting to settle into a comfortable way of being? Settle disagreements, settle down to work, but don't settle on God's calling on your life, both corporately and as individuals. And I can guarantee that God will bless you. I can say that because it doesn't come from me, it comes from God. There may be some things that you have to leave behind. It might be uncomfortable and unfamiliar. But don't be held back by normal patterns of behaviour, by people or by family. And if you're the one cheering others on, don't inadvertently hold them back either. Friends, may you be blessed with being happily uncomfortable, not settling for anything less on God's great adventure. Amen. I'd like us just to spend a moment in the quiet and then I'm going to read a prayer. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to grow dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. When losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes 
and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope and love. Amen. So we're going to finish our service with one final song and uh, then I'll uh, pray a closing prayer and uh, we'll have a song as well as uh, people are going to leave perhaps or uh, go and queue for their tea or coffee. Um, please do stay and sing the, the very final song if you want to, but other than that, it will be the end of the service. So we're going to sing uh, Strength Will Rise and uh, then I'll pray a blessing and then we will go. Sing Christ alone. In Christ alone. <laughs> We've already done uh, Strength Will Rise. Yeah, yeah.